Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Dia Dynasty. She is what is known as a shamanatrix, someone who combines femdom work with spiritual practice and ritual. Now, that in itself is plenty to talk about, but we don't just talk about sex work and spirituality today. We talk about pretty much everything. We talk about, well, the way I call it at the end of the episode is we talk about what it means to be a human being alive today (laughs) with a queer sex worker, witchy lens. (laughs) So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom! I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. There's a plane somewhere in the distance. (laughs) I don't know if everyone can hear it. Anyway, today... We are joined by shamanatrix and holistic femdom practitioner, Dia Dynasty. Hi, Dia. Hi, Jinx. (laughs) So, Dia, you and I, this is our first time meeting, having any kind of conversation. And um, you, okay, so my best friend, Kenny, is also my business manager and also is constantly scouting interesting people for hijinks and went to a, I don't know what, it was an event, a witchy event. <laughs> um, it was a few months ago and I believe you were a speaker on a panel And then they came back from this and said, you have got to have a conversation with Dia Dynasty because we here on Hijinks are extremely sex positive, almost to a fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, it's like a full circle. To an obnoxious level, yeah. (laughs) A a full, a whole. Even. My my friends are always like, I am so happy you're so sex po- positive, but it's like gotten to this point where you're like my you're like my mom or my sister, and you talk so openly about <laughs> your sex life that it feels like you know hearing a family member talk about their sex life isn't always fun. But I'm like, you don't get to be sex positive for everyone but me, okay? So <laughs> let's normalize it, okay? Like. Yeah. You know, let's not <laughs> let's not have any shame about that. Like, I understand privacy, but but it's so important to be sex positive because we're living in a culture that is relatively sex negative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you again for having me on. I feel extremely honored and I, I'm still <laughs> a little in disbelief at seeing 
uh, are being here and, and hearing your voice and, and having it directed at me in some ways. Um, and just to um, clarify, it was, yeah, it was the, um, it was the New York Historical Society, which was in yeah. uh, collaboration with the LGBTQ Museum of New York. Um, and so they did a, uh, an exhibit on witches, um, specifically the, the Salem witch trial kind of like events that, you know, oh, those witches, oh, those witches, <laughs> no. our ancestors. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, I was on fire that night because I wanted, to, there was so much that I wanted to say, and I definitely felt like I hogged the spotlight, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I, I don't know where to start, but I want, I, I, when I was taking my shower today, which is where I always like, I always shower before this podcast. And that's where I think of all the things I really want to talk about. Shower now thoughts we've, <laughs> shower thoughts thoughts the <laughs> because you're naked and wet. So you're very like raw, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, have had quite a few people on this podcast through the years. It's a very noisy day in LA. I don't know what's getting picked up, but everyone's driving by my little Airbnb. <laughs> okay. I have had a lot of people on this podcast um, talk about practicing witchcraft, talk about um, their own experiences with witchcraft, but unless I'm mistaken, they have all been white. <laughs> I'm I'm I I I'm not sure, but my my instinct is I think we have yet to have a magical practitioner who is also a person of color. And then I was starting to think like I wonder what the witchcraft what the witch community looks like in terms of racial diversity. So I think my first question for you today is what does it mean to you to be a witch of color? <laughs> Thank you for asking that. Um, that's such a great observation. And it's true. Most of the um, the people that call themselves witches, specifically witches and not like brujas or, you know, are, are white people. And, you know, I, I'm an Americanized Chinese person. So I was I was born and raised in in the states. Um, I lived in in Taiwan for a very short amount of time, but um, so my culture is also like like I would say two thirds, you know, white and or two thirds American and maybe a third um, Chinese. And mm -hmm. so I think you know, like having just having people acknowledge um, this slight difference is important. Um, but also including me in a lot of their, you know, covens and rituals and, and kind of just in their, in their scope of, of what magic is to them. Um, and as a person who is Chinese, you know, I, I guess my Chinese background has, um, mysticism in included into it, like say I Ching and, and those kind of practices, uh, which my grandmother practiced, but I personally don't resonate as much with those because it's, it's not a culture that I, 
was immersed in as much as like the American culture. Um, and so I am, I'm kind of like still on this, um, gathering information and knowledge about different types of, um, mystical practices. Like I find them all very fascinating, um, and, and finding which ones resonate with me because I don't have like this, you know, staunch, like, well, I'm Chinese, so I should, I should be practicing like, you know, Asian mysticism. Um, and the fact is that like mysticism, mysticism is woven or like, uh, mysticism is woven into the Chinese culture in a lot of ways that are normalized, like, like the Chinese Zodiac, you know, like everybody wants their children to be born in the year of the dragon. And, mm -hmm. and it is a, an accepted part of the fabric of the culture. Um, so it's not like, oh, I don't believe in, you know, astrology. It's like, no, you want to have a child on, on, in this year or, or else, you know, your child won't be so lucky. Um, <laughs> so that kind of thing. And, and I think that like, um, in terms of like, like say spirituality and, and witchcraft specifically, people aren't as the people that I've met aren't as like, um, prejudice prejudice against other forms of mysticism mysticism being mixed in because it's a non-centralized spirituality it's not like religion where it's like well if you're is islamic then you can't do these christian things or you know like mm -hmm. like those kind of like dogmatic you know rigid uh rules um so so yeah it's it's been um really great like i am um in a coven with, um, Pam Grossman, who I think mm -hmm. that, you know, and, um, and a few other, um, white witches and also, uh, a few other women of color and people of color are also in the coven. So I feel like I'm just one of the, you know, I'm just one of the witches, <laughs> one of the witches, one of the witches <laughs> hanging around the cauldron. Right. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, um, such a candid response to <laughs> like, hello, nice to meet you. Um, here's the first question. <laughs> Jump but right in. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, our listeners uh, are hearing our voices and I wanted to kind of contextualize our conversation of witchcraft and sex positivity, you know, from the get go, uh, because <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when whiteness is normalized, you don't realize like what things in your life are white dominated because it, you are conditioned to just see that as the norm. So then it takes a moment of like, I have never had a witch of color on my podcast yet. <laughs> so it's like, and I was like, that is something to look at. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's awesome that you're doing this work of, of awareness. You know, it's, um, it was, it was something like when I remember being in a circle with Pam and, and a bunch of other coven members and Pam referred to herself as a white woman. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're, you're right. Like differentiating, like not just y using woman as kind of like as the replacement for white woman, but differentiating yourself or identifying yourself in this specific way so that you're not um, you're not just perpetuating the normalization of like using mm -hmm. the word human as a default for white people. Yes. Um, yeah. 
like the fact that, you know, historically white people will preface talking about another person by mentioning their race, unless they're white, it doesn't get mentioned because it's just assumed that the other person would be white. That is, you know, and there's all of those things that it's like, you know, I I definitely strive to be mindful, but every uh, every day, you know, you catch yourself realizing something new, you know, and sometimes it's because of something coming through in social media. Sometimes it's because you blurt out something and you listen to what you just said and you're like, <laughs> that sounds like something my mom would say. And I'd be like, mom, <laughs> let's talk about that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's really, I'm sorry. It's, it's, Oh no, no, it's you go so, ahead. It's so, um, refreshing to see people on this. Um, and I'm just going to call it like a decolonization journey mm-hmm. where, where we're, everybody's recognizing the way that colonization has kind of normalized these certain beliefs, behaviors and practices, um, and, and people like me who are, you know, um, white adjacent, let's say, um, we kind of get lumped in with the white folks a lot. And, and uh, until like something happens, you know, that's rather negative. We're not, we're not specifically, um, treated differently until, you know, the white folks decide that it's time to treat us differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and I just, I'm just so, I just am so relieved to see this happening, like that there Mm -hmm. are people doing this. And so thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, for being so candid, there's this, it's a tightrope, I think. I'm not going to say tightrope. Well, poor me. I'm, (laughs) I'm being mindful. No, it's a, it's a thing of, um, you know, uh, where, you don't want to like, <laughs> you don't want to like uh, get sucked into pathos and be like, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is it's an awkward conversation, but we got to be able to have it. And when you're able to have it candidly and like calmly and undefensively, uh, it, it, everyone's happier in the end. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a jab on any identity or race, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like all of us kind of acknowledging certain things and certain systems and, and just growing from it, you know, like yeah. we got to be able to make ourselves a little uncomfortable to grow. Yeah. yeah. That's what a lot of people don't want to do. The, mm-hmm. the idea of mild inconvenience. <laughs> Is it, it, it's 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 the end all be all for some people. You want to mildly inconvenience me? Hell no! <laughs> I'm so oppressed. I'm so oppressed. Yeah. <laughs> Dia. I have in my notes that you worked as a pro dominatrix in New York City for 13 years. Now, that is a niche career in a brutal city. <laughs> Let's talk about how you found yourself in the work. 
that you oh. were doing. <laughs> I love I love telling this story, and each time it gets a little bit more like, uh, <laughs> gets a little more weird. Because um, I'll, I'll remember little things, and I'll just kind of you know just drop them in, and and they're just like little funny little nuggets that maybe are <laughs> a little stinky. Um, <laughs> So I've actually, so as of now, I've been doing uh, pro domination work for 15 years. That number changes every year and I can't keep up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been such an amazing journey. Um, I started, I actually started sex work when I still lived in Texas um, as a, I started as a dancer, as a stripper. And, and I found that to be extremely superficial and, and dissatisfying. And so when I moved to New York, I kind of made this, I didn't kind of, I made a list. I, I took my special pen out, you know, and I'm, and I had this, you know, nice, nice piece of paper and I made a manifestation list of what I wanted to occupy my time with in terms of like career and making money and, but also like growth. So I wrote down, you know, like, like I wanted to be able to wear cute outfits and, and be valued for like, not just my ability to like lug equipment or, um, or, or move it in a certain way, but also my intelligence and my creativity, um, mm -hmm. without a cap, you know, without like a, you have to stop here. Um, and then, you know, a few other things to, to make more money in less time and to have community. <laughs> um, and so, after I made that list, you know, kind of put it away into my wish box. And then I went on Craigslist, which is the internet portal for all things, right? And the internet's <laughs> really a portal for all things. Yeah. Was this back in the days of Craigslist? Craigslist? Because I've already mentioned sometimes, uh, I, I had some fun back in the days of Craigslist. It was a very formative experience for me when I realized that if you put it out there, there's always someone. Oh. <laughs> like, I, there was a lie I was told early in life that if you are a certain something or if you wear a certain something or if you look like a certain something or if you don't do this or look like this, you know. Listen, I was always afraid that being a femme person, that being a trans person you know, in the body of a gay man, like, and trying to not navigate, like, where I'm going to land in that spectrum. For a long time, I was like, well, I have to look like a boy. I have to act like a boy or no one's going to want to fuck me. And you know what? That was a lie that mm. my society, my, my community and my culture told me, because as soon as I started putting it out there on Craigslist, mm -hmm. that I look like this, I present like this, and I'm looking for a guy who is into that. Listen, I had no problem finding it. And I was like, oh my gosh, if we just didn't have so much stigma around liking what we like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Oh my gosh! So like, so that sorry is, to interrupt. Take no. us back to your Craigslist journey. <laughs> I think it's really important to 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 bring up that story, or is because like so many of us have been lied to about you know how we need to look, how we need to present, mm. how what what kind of behaviors are acceptable, and which ones are not acceptable. And for a lot of let's say like for a lot of cis gendered hetero men, right which is the, the majority of my clientele. Um, it's a very small box. Like, like 
the man box is very, very small. <laughs> you know, like if you don't have, if you don't have muscles, if you, uh, if you wear these colors, if, you know, if your hair looks a certain way, if you talk a certain way, then you're outside of the man box and nobody wants you. Um, so like that was something, or if you're, if you're submissive, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's a very small man box to try to fit all these different types of people and desires into. And so that's why I think, um, I was so drawn to this work because I was like, I know there's more out there, you know, mm -hmm. I know there's so many different types of people out there. In fact, I, I was, I was like, I'm sure there are because, um, in my early days in New York, um, I had moved from Texas with uh, quite a few of my friends. It was like a small migration. And uh, a few of my friends and I were in a drag band called She Dick. Mm. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so we brought that from Texas where it was like kind of this funny novelty at a party to like the main stage. And, and there, and it hadn't been done. Like there wasn't, there weren't drag bands that actually sang their own sang and write, wrote their own songs at that point in in drag history um as far as i knew and so um we met the coquettes you know like like mm -hmm. we met all these amazing people uh in new york and we knew that new york was also like a a, a huge portal into like all the other things outside of the box so that was why new york was such a uh, desired destination but yeah, I, I also think in terms of sexuality, um, there's so many more things outside of like heteronormative, like missionary sex, right? And and we as people probably have these yearnings, but we've been conditioned by society and religion and and whatever else we come into contact with to believe that they are they're bad, they're you know you're perverted, you're deviant, you're you're in a you you know there's something very wrong with you and you need to be fixed, you know. And so I I never believed that because I always felt like I was a pervert, like <laughs> I I did. <laughs> I did things that were very not normal and, and they turned me on, even though, you know, other people were kind of like, uh, yeah, fucking in the church parking lot just doesn't really do it for me. And I'm like, <laughs> but why, you know? <laughs> um, so, so then I was like, okay, there's, there's more to this. There's more to this, like kind of heteronormative like stripper environment like where do I go so that's when the list come in came in and I got on the craigslist and then I found this amazing listing that was like like Chinatown dungeon you know like all Asians like like will hire you know and train and full fetish wardrobe provided and I was like that's how's that <laughs> so I I did not hesitate to like get myself over there ASAP I was hired on the spot um and, and that was, that was where this whole career and, and kind of like growing of my pervert self started, <laughs> um, really blossoming. And I, you know, like, I'm grateful for the dungeon. It, it provided some measure of safety, but it was also owned by this cis hetero man who had a very specific view on Asian women. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was able to kind of navigate and, and, you know, do things, uh, that felt like meaningful with the the women that were hired. You know, we created a community amongst ourselves that we were we were the trauma bonded sisterhood there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
And, and then, you know, that, that uh, there was a ceiling on the dungeon experience and I got pushed out. Um, after seven years, I, you know, I trained everybody. I, I was the photographer and then all of a sudden I was no longer welcome. Um, so one of the, uh, the, one of the women that I met at the dungeon and I started our own thing Mm -hmm. and, and our own thing had, a lot more focus on building community as well as normalizing sex work and kink. Um, we met a lot of, you know, um, sex work activists and we talked to so many more people, um, that were like in the kink community or kink adjacent, like, like therapists and writers and, you know, um, people who included like kind of fetish in, in fashion and things like that. Um, and, and found this like beautiful, amazing community and world of people who are like way more open-minded, um, and 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 happy to talk about their themselves, you know, tell their own stories about how they came into this, and so it just it just started growing from there on out, um, which was another like seven years of of um, Le Maison de Rouge is what we called it. We also ran a space in uh, Manhattan that was a BDSM studio. Um, and and then my my business partner and I, we went our separate ways and we're still really close and still do a bunch of like really fun, you know, like gangbang type things with, <laughs> with our clients. Um, but yeah, it's I'm I'm kind of now on my own and and I see. I see kink and like alternative sexuality or whatever you want to call it. And, and just like, like life in such a huge spectrum of colors now with like so many different identities and so many, so much fluidity as well. Like you, you know, you, just cause you pick one doesn't mean you have to stay with it. Um, and, and I also um, have this, had this vision for like a place in nature um, so, so during pandemic, when we finally had a moment to breathe from capitalism, um, uh, I convinced my mom to loan me the money to buy a farm. And so upstate New York is where the femdom farm exists. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna, okay. We're gonna stop right there at this point in the conversation so that I can kind of backtrack on some of the things you (laughs) have just shared with me because I want to pick apart some of these things and talk to you about some of these things because my god first of all awesome all of that sounds so incredible but second of all every time and it's such a privilege of doing this podcast is you know lots of people come on this podcast with very different work careers or, 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 or a very different life from mine. And then I realized no one's lives are that different. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's certain things if, if you like, if you are opening yourself up to everything that life could be, (laughs) you might find yourself in a career that you like, but working for someone who's problematic. And then you might decide you're going to become your own boss. And that takes a lot of hard work and effort. But like so many of the people on this podcast are people who um, 
were unhappy with the life that was carved out for them and created their own path. And that's one thing that I think is a very common thread um, amongst mm. the people I've been lucky enough to talk to on here. That <laughs> is so, it's, yeah. That's it, so it's, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really cool hearing your story and then also feeling like that is also what drag queens do. And that's also what burlesque performers do. And that's like what a lot of my friends in the adult industry do. And I think it's really indicative. I don't know your age. I'm not going to presume your age, but there is a wave happening right now. And it's what's getting the CEOs and the 1% and the people at the top so agitated. And it's what's making them run their mouths so much is because we are starting to break apart those lies we've been told and starting to realize our own value. Everyone's, you know, like the people who are now working from home, so many people are creating their own careers and they're talking about it like it's a bad thing. But the only bad thing about it is, is they're, you know, they're not as easily manipulating as many people anymore. And I've been joking about it, but it's like, if you want to treat us like Les Mis, you better get ready for the French Revolution. That's exactly what's happening. That is, you know what? You're right. It's a revolution on a personal level. It is like the age of Aquarius revolution where Mm -hmm. we're like, we've come out of the age of Pisces. We've come out of like self-sacrifice and like all hailing white Jesus, you know, like we're coming out of that phase and into individuality and Aquarius being the water bearer, like water is kind of like free flow information, which, you know, is the internet to me, Um, Mm -hmm. but also sharing of information and, and not no longer like heeding to the gatekeepers because like whatever is actually behind that gate, I'm not interested in. Um, <laughs> what really- a good fucking point. Right? I I feel like I've peeked into it and it does not look satisfying. No. Yeah. Good for you. Because like being in, being in corporate America sounds, sounds awful. It sounds like, like the only thing that you're really gaining from it is like, I guess, whatever money, um, you know, you think you need. But if we, if we actually all took care of each other, like in a very egalitarian society, and we were more uh, focused on needs-based um, resources, resourcing, rather than like hoarding wealth, I feel like we wouldn't even really need money. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted, so like what you're talking about, like letting our, you know, light shine and breaking through all the lies. I wanted to refer to this quote by Bell Hooks. Um, if you don't mind in- indulging me in this of course, moment. Do it. So queer. Queer not as being about who you're having sex with, although that can be a dimension of it, but queer as being about the self that is at odds with everything around it and that has to invent and create and find a place to speak and to thrive and to live. I think we are, I think this world is becoming queer and I'm, I'm, I'm so here for it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm so here for it too. And I know that it comes with the ebb and flow. I mean, everything happens with ebb and flow. 
and there's always backlash and we see it historically, but it's like, if we also look, look historically, things do get better over time. It sucks that we are now living in a moment of transition and so much divisiveness. And we have seen moments like this in history. And ultimately, so far, <laughs> the, the, the right people have won in the big arguments in history, but it's so scary that there's so many people who don't agree with that sentiment or they say that they agree with that sentiment, that they're like, yes, you know, like the Nazis were bad and, you know, the Civil War ended the way it should have and all Americans should be freed. That's what they say but it's not what they do. It's not what they practice. <sighs> and they're scared of looking at the objective fact that that is not actually what they practice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sometimes looking in the mirror is scary for people who maybe don't make a regular practice and, mm. and they don't want to see the ugly, you know, they just want to keep moving forward and projecting in, in their projecting their righteousness and, blaming everything else but themselves and i'm i'm not sure like wh- how to address you know that because that's again it's a fear based uh behavior i just want to live as an example like that's all i can really do and um and i want to share my story with as many people as possible um definitely like outside of the kink communities as to, you know, yes, I come from a place of privilege, right? Like I have never had to struggle um, or do survival work. Um, My mother always provided for me. We're not rich. She came to America with like two suit. We came to America with two suitcases. We lived in government housing or, you know, like we were very poor. My mother worked as a waitress sharing one uniform with her sister, you know, like at, at a Chinese restaurant. And so, so we had struggles. Um, but I was an only child. And so I got to benefit from like her hard work. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yes, you know, I, I'm not like privileged as in like silver spoon privilege, but I, I was never subjected to, um, like sustained abuse or um I didn't have poverty trauma like my mother was always able to provide in some way um and so so yeah there's there's a lot of things that I guess like I as a as a Chinese woman uh Chinese American woman um was ahead ahead of some people on but at the same time like I think that we are all suffering in a mm-hmm. collective trauma way from like the systems, um, yeah. the, the systems and the beliefs um, that, that drive these systems. And, and so I feel like if we could all kind of like transcend the divisiveness of mm-hmm. what these systems want us to believe is wrong with everybody else, um, mm-hmm. we could actually, we, we actually have way more power in numbers we could actually overthrow government. We could actually stop paying taxes. You know, like we could hit them real hard. Um, and and please, you know, these are just ideas. No, I, I <laughs> listen. I say all the time, like I'm ready to, I'm ready to pull the plug on the internet for two weeks. I'm ready to shut everything down and and 
let's brainstorm a new thing. You know, I'm ready to start from the beginning again. Yeah. Because I, I, because, you know, I do fear that if we don't do something big, Mm-hmm. It's you know it's the it's the things that people worry about you know it's it's it could I I mean like I see the direction the planet is going in like the planet yeah yeah that's why <laughs> and it's for like sure. and so it's like it's all part of the same thing if we don't stop lying. <laughs> Yeah. Period. If we don't stop lying, period, there's not going to be a planet to stand on. We're not going to be here. And so I'm at this point where it's kind of like, we got to do something big. And I don't know what it's going to take to unify everyone. I thought it might be aliens, but turns out <laughs> no one cares because <laughs> we got bigger problems here. Uh, so I don't know what the big unifying thing is, but something's got to happen. <laughs> I agree. I think, I think, you know, and I think it's easy to, I think it's easier to consider like what could, what could this big thing be? Um, and it, and it all almost like feels like a fantasy at times. Like what is revolution going to look like? How do we bring the apocalypse a lot sooner than we, have? <laughs> um, but, but okay. So, but here's my idea. Um, I think it's, I think in action, it's actually way easier than we think it is. Um, if we mimic nature and, and so like, since there's so many of us, you know, and there's only like these few, like structures of, of power, um, that like for, let's say America is dealing with, right. There's, and the structures of power are not necessarily governmental in Mm -hmm. nature. They are, um, big oil, um, GMO, like Monsanto, ConAgra type stuff and, and big pharma. Those, those are the three in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So like, so when there's a huge number of us with the awareness that we want to take something down, I think of termites. I think of all of us acting in unison to chomp away at we at what we can or withdraw what we can. Mm-hmm. You know, withdraw our our money from from foods from GMO foods, withdraw our money from the medical system. Um and and then like watch it collapse on its own. That's my you know. idea. that's that's not i mean i i i think there's a reason why the actor and writer strike is like it's 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 happening at this moment in time because of what you were just talking about Mm -hmm. because the pandemic cut a lot not all of them Obviously, Amazon saw record profits. Obviously, these streaming studios saw record profits, and that's what led them to their their current greed, you know. The pandemic just changed everything. I'm not saying all of the big powers realized how much they need the system that they've built to be operating for them to, to keep going, you know. But it helped us realize that, you know, it's like they've always known. They've always yeah. known they have to manipulate large masses of people to keep the system that they benefit from working. 100%. And so, you know, like <laughs> the pandemic helped a lot of people realize 
how much power we have as a group of individuals. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And And, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was, it's just, it's, 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 I won't be surprised if the actor strike and the writer strike is the first of many. And I won't be surprised if like striking or questioning our workplace causes us to question everything else. I hope so. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hope so. I really hope, I really, really hope that everything gets aired out in a way where and excavated in a way where you just where we're we're realizing and we come out of that spell, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's like a spell. And all these like symbols, these sigils that these that these companies have created only reinforce the spell. And mm-hmm. and we are and we're at a point where like we're like so many of us were under that spell, um, but like failing at life, you know, and and it's like, thank goodness, honestly, for a moment of pause during pandemic that we got to kind of break the spell for mm. ourselves and see through the veil and and be like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You know, mm. like, like, I can't I can't keep going like this. Um, and I had that moment, too, where I was like. I'm living like I'm successful. Um, like, like, you know, like you were saying in the beginning, I am a professional dominatrix who've been who's been doing this for more than a decade in like one of the most like like grindingly, you know, hustly cities <laughs> in America. And and I'm still here. Um, but like, is this it? Like, what's next? Is there a next? Like, or is this it? Um, am I going to keep living in this like one bedroom apartment, uh, suffering somebody else's like, like cigarette smoke coming from a different floor and hearing fireworks out my window, like every single night? Um, is this my, is this my life now? Um, so when I started asking myself these questions, uh, I was like, wait a minute, you know, like if I didn't have this moment of questioning, I would, I would keep doing this. Like I, I don't even most people don't even get that moment of like, is this it? Is this, you know, is this how, is this life now? Um, is this my life now? And so that's when I, I was able to open up rest as a portal to visionary dreaming. Um, and that's when the, the vision of the farm kind of manifested as like, this is your next step. You're going to be able to grow your own food. You're going to have, um, the kind of space where you can build community and you're going to be able to help other people kind of like re-educate themselves by getting in touch with nature and therefore themselves. just naturally i think incorporated conversations of magic in everything we've been talking about but i'd like to shift the focus now more into your work um with magic your work in witchcraft um i want to talk about the term shamanatrix but very first to get into it i want to talk about the word holistic because it's a word that I use a lot now um, because it's how I feel like I practice magic because 
I really resonated with what you were saying where you're still in a discovery place where you're still kind of taking everything in. And I feel like I've kind of narrowed in on a practice of magic or a sect or like at least a way into practicing magic that resonates the most with me. But I, in the same way that I don't want to prescribe to a religion because I don't want to limit myself to one pathway of thinking or one facet of thinking, I feel the same way about practicing witchcraft. I don't want to say like, I'm a, you know, a a this type of witch or I'm a that type of witch, because then it's like the whole reason I like witchcraft is to not feel limited by labels and not feel like I have to do one thing for the rest of my life. So what does the word holistic mean to you? And um, tell us a little bit about your practices of magic and then we can talk about what a shamanatrix is. <laughs> awesome. I, I'm so happy that you asked. Thank you. Um, so so I spell holistic with a W, which is, a, you know, a spelling of acceptable spelling, um, because I, I find it funny that like whole is, you know, W-H-O-L-E has a W in front of it, but holistic normally doesn't. Um, it, it's more like holistic like h-o-l-e listed mm-hmm. you know so i was kind of like what is that about um so i brought in you know the w uh as as a as a bringing all the elements back into what holism is to me um and what holism holism is to me is as far as my my practice in um, femdom which is like you know i'm a femme and i'm doing the domination um I think it's important to consider like a lot of different aspects of who you're playing with and who you're working with and not just like, you know, as a sex worker, not just the sexual part of them, even though that is an extremely important part, you know, and, and it is also a part that like often gets neglected and, and uh, kind of tucked away in, in normal life. Um, but also like kind of the emotional background of the person um, their, their kink context, um, like, like what have they experienced and and how, because for some people, like they arrive at kink through trauma, um, or they arrive at kink through abuse, um, or, or these kind of other things. So like being trauma informed, um, is really important to me as, as a practitioner, um, working with, not just the emotions, but also the the mind and the body connection. So um, I find that somatic experiencing is extremely important. And that's relatively like a part for most people of um, femdom to begin with is that you're working with the body, like you're doing body work, um, like whether it's, you know, pain or sensation or, or like heat or bondage, compression, you know, like weightlessness, whatever it is, um, it's all happening to the body as well. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then my, my favorite is spirit, like, like bringing a spiritual aspect of all of this in. And I don't mean like, you know, just having a crystal or something, even though that can mm-hmm. certainly be a part of it, but like, um, doing a little bit of ritual around uh, creating a scene um, with maybe some breath, um, maybe a moment of like like honoring, you know, um, yourself and and having come to this place of like courage and and surrender, 
um, a, a land acknowledgement, you know, like, like uh, maybe an archetype of a goddess or something that you'd like to bring in um, or, or apply to role play even, you know, kind of like something that's a little bit more up here than just, and and not just here. Um, and I'm, I'm a gesturing to this, the cosmos <laughs> and then touching my body. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so holistic to me, I think gives a, a fuller experience because like, a lot of times, and this is this is important, this is extremely important to me. A lot of times when somebody has um survived trauma, um, specifically like sexual abuse, um, I would say that for like cis men, it's more challenging to talk about that and to admit that. But it has happened, you know, to a lot of people. Um, and obviously like to all kinds of people, but like specifically cis hetero men have a very challenging time like admitting it talking about it because it is so wrapped up in shame and it is so outside of the man box of what is is acceptable as like moving through society as a man Mm -hmm. um so so i like to be able to give them the space to feel safe and comfortable enough that they can they can come out with these things if if they feel ready um, and I've had, you know, several of my clients actually either lead with that or uh, after, you know, years of play, finally confess it um, in a way that made me feel like I was receiving a privileged gift of of secrecy and and this, you know, thing that they've been holding in for so long. And I think that that's holistic, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like these people are walking around with all this trauma, like stuck in their bodies and and nobody to tell and and feeling the shame of like wanting to do something about it but feeling less of a man if they do you know um that adds to the the crap um the the sickness of our society like we don't we don't need more of that You know, what's really interesting is because you're, you said it, it towards the beginning that the majority of your clientele are cis hetero men, but very few of them fit into the man box. So a lot of this time that you've been talking about the concepts that you hold near and dear to you, you have been seeing it from the perspective of the cis hetero man, which is the perspective that a lot of people don't want to look from right now. And I find it really, really great to hear you talking about this isn't trauma, first of all. Trauma, I think um, I had a long journey with even accepting that I had trauma or like, for a long time, I was like, well, yeah, bad things happened to me, but I wasn't traumatized by it. Because we think that trauma looks a certain way or feels a certain way or has a pre-prescribed result, you know, that like, oh, someone who was traumatized has PTSD. Someone who is traumatized has this mental disorder or that mental disorder, but it's you know, I'm obviously not traumatized because I'm getting through my life just fine. The thing is, is everyone experiences trauma in their life 
And when you experience that at young ages, formative points in your life, it has lasting effects, whether whether it's the body that remembers it or the mind that remembers it. So to even begin the conversation with your average Joe hetero, like, hi, you're probably traumatized. <laughs> Would you like to work through some of that sexually with me? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, like, I, I love listening to you talk because you are talking from your perspective with the average Joe in mind as well. And that's because that's your clientele. And that's just like, that's really cool to see someone, like you said, you you clearly live with a lot of colors in your spectrum because you're able to speak about two or three things at once in, in just talking about sex work. You know, it's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel very seen. Um, and I'm, I'm blushing. I don't know if you can tell. Maybe a little teary eyed too. Thank you for acknowledging that. I mean, yeah, we, we, most of us have some degree of trauma um, many of us have sexual trauma and, and many of us with sexual trauma were, um, victimized by cis hetero men. Let's just say that, but like, and not, but, and these cis hetero men are probably also traumatized to some degree. Otherwise they wouldn't be hurting other people. Like it's not inherent in in humans to be born wanting to hurt other people. Like, yeah, that happens. You know, some people are born that way. Some people are, you know, maybe possessed or, you know, just like something is not right. Like there's maybe something genetic or hereditary or or like a tweak. Um, but that is definitely the major minority of people. And there's way more people who... Um, are traumatized by systems. So like I, I've, I've heard many people talk about poverty trauma, um, which is like, it's, it's like being in survival mode all the time mm -hmm. um, because you don't know how, if you're going to be able to pay rent, pay your bills, have a roof to sleep under, food to eat. Um, there are tons of people with religious trauma. And, mm -hmm. and I will say this, that the cis hetero or um, cis bi men that I have actually done work with were um, sexually traumatized by people in the religious community. So not drag queens. Not drag queens. <laughs> not drag queens. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, I think that like um, being able to speak on this aspect because like most people are kind of like blaming patriarchy blaming you know the benefactors of patriarchy which is you know mostly cis hetero men um and and um men in like um uh, cis men in general um but like but like we haven't heard i don't feel like we've heard enough from these these people who have benefited um we've heard like a lot of denial but we haven't heard uh, enough of yeah. people actually talking in in support of that this system is shit <laughs> yeah and that's the whole thing is that it's shit for everyone even yeah. the people who are benefiting from it because yes they are benefiting from it financially 
or power wise or whatever. They are so focused on the benefits that they will not admit the pain and the shit that they have. And like, there's a, I mean, obviously (laughs) they're fucked up too and traumatized too. Because if we take what you were just talking about and apply it to these cis white hetero men who benefit the most and then you find out they've got a child porn ring because they're probably so fucking fucked up so detached from their humanity so in denial of their trauma so like hypnotized by capitalism Mm -hmm. they are so deep in the system and this isn't to try to find sympathy sympathy for people who do horrible things this is to recognize that the system has literally fucked over everyone, even the benefactors. Yeah. <laughs> literally everyone. The system serves no one. It, yeah. So, like, why are we, you know, why are we supporting the system? Why are we denying the survivors their stories and, and like, safety? Because yeah. um, that's everybody. <laughs> you know, you're... Your termite analogy really (laughs) resonated with me because I feel like, I feel like that is, you know, you've just said so many wonderful things. Um, We are nearing the end of the conversation, but just as a, like a reflection on this conversation, you have said so many, like, just like incredibly accessible observations of what we are currently dealing with. And, you know, I I knew we'd have a conversation about sex. I knew we'd have a conversation about witchcraft. I did not know (laughs) we'd have a conversation about literally being a human being alive today. (laughs) And that's what that conversation felt like. So that is Um, something that we all uh, can relate on is, <laughs> you know, maybe not everybody's kinky, maybe not everybody's witchy, but like, let's, let's agree. We're all human beings alive, you know, alive today in, in this society. And, mm-hmm. and let's take a honest look like, you know, um, I so appreciate this uh, opportunity to speak with you. And even though nobody else can see us, I could I didn't see your beautiful face. <laughs> it helps me, you know, helps me yeah. to feel like I'm talking to somebody. Um, yeah. and, and just, um, you know, let's, let's all like, let's, let's all learn to love a little better. Like, I feel like that's why we're here. Honestly, yeah. we're not here to make money. Money's not real. It's just paper that we all agreed has value. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we invented pretty much everything except for the feelings we get in. Like, we invented the words for them, but we didn't invent those feelings. We didn't invent lust and and love and and anger and hatred. Those are things we feel in the way we house those things and the barriers we build around those things and the boundaries we build around those things. That's what's in our control as, as individuals and as society. So that's, that's what we need to look at. We need to look at the things that we didn't invent and start there again. (laughs) You know, why do we feel hatred? What makes us feel love? And how can we go more towards that and less towards the things that make us feel 
angry, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and fearful, you know? Cause, and fearful. Yeah, you're right. We invented so many things. And like, <laughs> because they are inventions, we believe that they're real, but they can also be unreal, you know? We reinvent things all the time. And the people who say like, oh, I'm too, I'm too set in my ways, or we've, we've been doing this for forever. No, we haven't. We haven't been wearing blue jeans forever. Right. We haven't been wearing our like you know it, it, there's times where like no one could grow a beard because like there were rules against beards you know what i mean like yeah. like nothing that we think is natural today was natural a hundred years ago probably you know? right i fantasize about a time before plastic all the time because uh-huh. i think about all the plastic like choking our oceans and our landfills just like how much plastic there is and like and the reasons for these like plastic things which is convenience, um, sanitary, whatever that means. Um, (laughs) and, and yeah, like, like the, the, the inspiration for a lot of my, um, visions is how did the indigenous folks live Mm -hmm. and, and what kind of things like they, did they value that made them, um, protect the harmony of humans and everything else because we are part of nature too and so like like when we when i think about what's real i think about what's real in nature i don't think about like credit scores and the stock exchange and and uh insurance and you know like um what you know all these things like those don't feel real to me and so i want to focus on what's real and i know that human connection is real and being able to talk to another human and connect on these things that we've talked about is real and that's what i think is is like a form of love you know is like mm-hmm. so that we know how to love each other better is talking yeah you know i have had days where i'm i'm in the shittiest mood and i have to summon the it's not today. This is not about today. <laughs> but I have days where I'm in a really shitty mood. And then I sit down to do this podcast, you know, and I start by like faking faking my way through it because I don't, it's not the guest's fault that I'm in a shitty mood. By the end of the conversation, I'm telling you like 99% of the time, I always feel whatever I was in a shitty mood about just doesn't feel as important because I had a lovely conversation with someone about why we're here and why we're doing what we do and all the things I said in the intro. So thank you, Dia, for being such an exemplary um, example of what is so fun about this podcast. Where can my listeners find you um, after uh, this episode? Where can they find you online? websites, uh, uh, events you're going to be doing. Uh, here's your chance to plug away. Okay, here we go. All right. So um, if you would like to connect directly with me um, through social media, I'm on Twitter as Domina Dynasty, um, D-O-M-I-N-A, um, D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y. And then I'm on Instagram as Dia underscore underscore Dynasty. Um, and I won't get into why those names are different, but <laughs> I, I, um, I also have a website and, um, there's a lot of information about me and what I do as a dominatrix, shamanatrix, um, as well as, um, mentorship opportunities. And so that is, uh, dominadynasty.com. 
And then um, I also host um, community events, um, like whether it's, you know, smaller sex worker community events or larger kind of like kink community events. Um, the kink community events are all hosted at templenewyork.org. And so that is a community space. Um, I host an event called Kink Circle, which is a uh, discussion-based gathering about uh, kink, you know, like, like what, what is kink? Um, more so like, how can you do it safely and ethically? Like, how do you negotiate? How do you achieve consent? How do you, you know, how do you keep yourself safe? Um, and then uh, a monthly event called Whip and Tail, which is a small play party in a parlor style space. Um, and then uh, my website, femdomfarm.com, is still in progress. And, and there's a lot of work to be done there, but I'm extremely excited about that. So if you're into um, following all of that, however you know, small it is at this moment, um, across all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, website, it's Femdom Farm. It's F-E-M-D-O-M Farm. <laughs> Incredible. You know, um, I, uh, you are, uh, yet another guest that my best friend, Kenny has, um, helped bring into hijinks and, they really know what they're doing because <laughs> this was, I, you know, I knew very, very little about you going into this. And now I am like such a mega fan and oh my gosh, combining sex work and farm life. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I'm a pervert and I will pervert anything. And if there's nothing to pervert, I will go into the most wholesome place and find something. <laughs> you know, and I, I, one thing that just kept spiraling around my mind um, while, while we've been having this conversation is I have realized recently that as sex positive and as much of a mega slut as I am, I'm fairly vanilla. Like everyone knows about my like um, foot adoration because of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, whatever. But, um, you know, as far as like what I'm into actually doing in the bedroom, fairly vanilla. It does not. Um, but I have explored my sexuality. I've tried a lot of things. And what I want everyone to hear is that you can explore and find out you're not into any of it, but at least you explored. You don't even have to participate. You can just look at anything that like, you know, it, it's something you've been wondering about yourself, go ahead and explore it. And then you might find out you don't like it. And then that's fine too. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And there is no shame in being vanilla or fairly vanilla or anything. But like, I say yep. French vanilla. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Vanilla with a twist. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no, and there's no, but there's no shame in having these uh, yearnings or, or desires, as long as you are going about it in a way that is um, agreeable to everybody and not harming anybody um, in a, in a, like a non-consensual way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, thank you for sharing that about yourself. <laughs> and, you know, like, like, I, I love that people can, can say that they explored these things and then kind of just like, it's not for me, you know, yeah. it's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Being sober in my 30s feels great because I did so much drinking in my 20s. You know, I don't feel like I missed 
doubt. Um, Dia, I have compulsory questions that I ask every guest um, before we sign out. Uh, you may answer them however you like. There is no wrong way to answer. Are you ready to be asked these questions? I'm ready. Ask away. Okay. First question is, who is your celebrity crush today? Oh, goodness. Today and every day, it's Oscar Isaac. I'm terrible with names. Oh, what would I know uh, Oscar Isaac from? So he was, um, he had like major daddy energy in Dune. Um, Oh, yes, yes, yes. I just looked him up. Oh, my God. And he was in, um, he was doing, uh, what's that? Um, Moon. uh, Yeah. um, Ex Ex Machina uh, was when I first found out about it. Uh, Moon. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. That's the one. I watched all of season one of Moon Knight. Oh. Ex Machina. Uh, yeah, he he does have major sexy daddy energy. He is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I'll say him, too. <laughs> I'll say him, too. Because um, we were all thinking it. Um, next question is <laughs> kind of silly after our whole conversation, but I ask everyone. Are you spiritual? Oh yes. Um, <laughs> like uh, if nothing else, I am. I am extremely um, aligned with how my spirit wants my life to unfold. And you know, like I think being spiritual doesn't have to involve like you know these kind of new agey things like mm. um, like like singing bowls and like chanting and and like you don't you you can do those things and also not be spiritual. Um, but I, I feel deeply like my spirit has, um, a very strong purpose here. And, um, and I, you know, I had a a black cat for a long time and we had a very spiritual bond, um, where it, it felt like, um, it felt like a piece of my spirit left and when, when she passed away. Um, but now I'm more like, I'm inhabiting more space now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And, and so like, uh, I feel like my spirituality imbues like every little thing I do and every person that I come in contact with. So it, it feels like a very, like kind of natural and, um, integrated part of me rather than something that I do. Yeah. You know, I, um, I have recently been reading and beginning work with like goddess work, goddess veneration, and specifically with the Greek pantheon. And um, uh, one of the things that I learned that I think is the coolest thing that I did not yet know was just that magic and acknowledging the gods and those forces and whatever it was just a daily part of life. They woke up and they thanked the sun for shining. And the sun was a god, but essentially they were thanking the sun for being a sunny day and for warming their bodies. And they thanked the breeze that like brought, you know, <laughs> brought the, the ocean in. And they they thanked everything because they believed that everything was connected to a deity and connected to a magical source. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think is the coolest thing that I learned is that like the, the we think of magic these days it's been so warped by so many influences but what if it was just an everyday part of everything that you do 
that is that is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it it really is. It's like if you're sitting down to eat food, like consider like all of the energy that went into growing the food and and tending to it and watering it, you know, like like the rains is an entity. Um the the winds that carry the pollen to pollinate the you know the food and and everybody you know everybody has a a part in in the the thing the the thing that is the life <laughs> um and to honor that and respect it and and even give it a name um i think is like the most beautiful form of spirituality ever and i had no idea that it was like originated from greek because well i i know that indigenous folks do this too you know they they kind of use um these entities almost as uh, verbs, um, mm-hmm. like like to be like wind or to be like water or to be like the water in a bay. You know, it's like very specific. But I love that. I, I love that too mu- so much. And and yeah, like like so grateful for Helios for showing up today. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was like yeah. And then and so they would cast their own little spells to try to you know like just magic magical practice in daily life was so commonplace. And, and that was like, I don't know. I don't know uh, uh, how many years ago it was, but it was a long time ago. So there's something to it. Right. Anyway. (laughs) So um, my final question for you, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, It's usually a Radiohead song and it has been creep for a very long time when I first sang it, I didn't realize what an anthem it was and like how, <laughs> how deeply cleansing and cathartic it was to belt that song out because it yeah. was like something that I felt for a long time. Like I still identify as a creep and proud of it. Um, <laughs> but now there's this uh, other Radiohead song. Um, it's exit music for a movie. Um and I'm not sure if you uh, know the lyrics, but like the very last few lines sound like um, a spell or a curse. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's it's just it's just like like the way that it's so dramatic and cinematic, you know, it's it's from uh, Romeo and Juliet, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last few lines are, you know, you can laugh a spineless laugh. Um, uh your rules um wait i hope that your rules and wisdom choke you and i hope that you choke that you choke (laughs) (laughs) yeah sounds like a hex sounds like a good old hex (laughs) right right and it's like it's it speaks on specifically like the part of romeo and juliet that's all about the political shit that was like between the two families and Mm -hmm. And and how those rules and and regular uh, wisdoms were uh, limiting love, and I hope you know if you're gonna make rules and have beliefs around limiting love, you should choke on them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful words to leave on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dia. Um, it was it was it's it's truly been a pleasure um, getting to know you, having this conversation. I'm um, grateful for the friends who brought you into my life, Pam Grossman and Kenny. Um, so <laughs> um, 
thank you so much. And I just wish you all the best in, 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 in your work on the farm and <laughs> everything you're doing. Thank you thank so you. much for being my guest today. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. Um, big hugs to the friends, Kenny and Pam. <laughs> um, it's been, I, I'm so, I'm still so honored and I, I'm just like best day ever, best way to start a day ever. Um, and having this conversation with you has been so affirming in, in, you know, where my life is going and where, you know, the path that it's taken. So thank you again. Like I got to see you on RuPaul's Drag Race and now <laughs> I'm like so fangirling right now. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. I'm also at official Jinx Monsoon on TikTok if you feel like it. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.